Thank you for the anointing that's on his life, Father. And I just, God, I ask that, Lord, that you would just speak your words right now through him. And that, um, God, that you would, you would use him to penetrate the deep parts of our lives that are hurting and broken. And I just pray that, Father, that you would use his words to heal today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, briefly, I'll, I'll give a little bit more elaboration. So, yeah, I go around, I street preach. Uh, for the most part, I go down on Fridays um, to Planned Parenthood. I talk about the freeness in the gospel and how God restores. I mean, we, we just sang about it, right? Hope will rise. God restores. Um, you're not stuck in your situation. There is um, power. And I would say power by the resurrection. Yeah. So, uh, I go down there, I do that. I've also been down to a couple other places, D.C. and whatnot, and have done some street preaching there. Um, but it's, it's crazy to see the different people that you encounter throughout doing those types of things because um, you will have some people. I was preaching to Song of Solomon one time on the street, which I don't know if you guys have read Song of Solomon. It's super lovey-dovey. Uh, and there's this one line. There's no flaw within you. You are altogether beautiful, my beloved. And, some, and one person, as they were walking by, said, you're preaching hate. But then there's other people that stand by and they're like in tears. So it's just amazing to see how the, the word of God cuts um, and makes happen exactly what God is desiring to have happen in each particular person's life. So uh, with the state of Maine, they came after me. They sued. They went to go sue me. It's still in court. Um, I don't know. It's completely on hold until Andrew's case is completely done and the appeal is gone. Um, the, with that, I could go to jail for a year or so and pay $5,000, but um, it was amazing. In the midst of, in the midst of, uh, of that suffering, if you will, or persecution, whatever you want to call it, um, I actually got to experience Jesus in a way that I've never experienced before. Um, I would actually desire and rather be in the midst of suffering for righteousness' sake than to not. Um, and why I say that is because that is when you experience uh, the sharings of the sufferings of Christ, um, as in Colossians 1.24 would say. So it's just crazy to think through, like, I got to experience Jesus in a way that I never have before. Um, and his comfort and him working through and refining different things in my life, trust issues and whatnot. So it's a, it's a huge blessing um, to be able to do that. And right now, it's a huge blessing to be here. Um, if you guys want to open up to Psalm 71. Um, recently, I've been looking at the resurrection a lot. Um, I said this the other day over at uh, our church, South 53. In Acts 4, it says, and they were greatly annoyed because they wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection. It's kind of me right now. People are probably getting greatly annoyed because of it. But nonetheless, uh, the resurrection is a beautiful thing. It's the very thing that put Paul into... Uh, Felix's uh, presence to have to make a case. It was what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming after Paul for. It's what got him to go all the way to Caesar. It wasn't because he was just preaching about Jesus. It was because he was preaching about Jesus and him resurrected. So what is it about the resurrection that is getting this man, Paul, before Caesar? Why is Paul clinging to this resurrection so much? What does the resurrection mean for you? What does the resurrection mean for the entire world? Um, these are things that were going through my mind recently, and I came across this verse, and 
One thing that the Psalms are noted for, um, the emotion in the midst of situation. The, so you, you have these Psalms, you see David, and he's going through this trial before Achan and whatnot in 1 Samuel 21, and then you see in Psalm, I believe it's, uh, I can't remember which number right now, forgive me. But you see in the Psalms, he actually responds to it with, with two different Psalms, and you're seeing his emotion in there. So you have these different situations that are happening in life, and I would say that in America, often, we don't know how to deal with our emotions, particularly men. Particularly us men, we don't know how to deal with our emotions, we don't know how to think through our emotions, and then women, they go, sometimes, and don't, don't come at me, sometimes, <laughs> women, they don't know how to deal with their emotions either on the other spectrum. So then they let their emotions actually overrule them. So you have some who completely sear their emotions as if they do not exist, and yet they do, and then you have some who are letting themselves be completely controlled by them. So it's in the Psalms that we see um, men, and, men of God just expressing their deep emotion, both joy and sorrow, greatness and weakness, right here. And it's crazy to me. Um, so in this Psalm, uh, there's oftentimes where, you know, some people think it's the Psalm of Korah or whatnot, but I, I believe it's the Psalm of David. Psalm 71. I'm going to start out in verse 19, but before I hit on verse 19, I'm going to give a little backdrop to the psalm, but before I even give a backdrop to the psalm, you've got to understand where David's even coming from mentally. So David is a Jew. Uh, he's of the people of Israel. And um, he was the anointed one, the king after Saul. And he's called a man after God's own heart. So, being a man after God's own heart, you must ask, Why? So God's heart is to both give and receive glory. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see he's created out of nothing. Ex nihilo, he created all things. The heavens and the earth and all that is in him. He then looked and said, well, I'm going to create man and woman, both man and woman, in my image, in my reflection, in my radiance. I'm going to, they're supposed to reflect my glory back to me and me to them. They're, we're going to be glorifying one another. Just like the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Spirit likewise. So you have the Trinity glorifying one another. Likewise, man is also, man and woman are going to be glorifying one another and one another. Both horizontally and vertically. Then we have Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where you see Adam and Eve, Eve being deceived and Adam sinning is how the New Testament interprets that. Eve being deceived by the serpent where the serpent was lying, spewing lies out so that way he could deceive Eve into believing that what God said was not true. And so then she partook of the very thing that God told Adam not to and Adam was supposed to teach Eve. And then Adam listened to his wife Eve and partook of the same even knowing that God said don't do that so then we have the fall and what you see in that moment the garden was a place of the presence of God where there God was walking in, in the midst of the garden they knew what it felt like what it looked like what it sounded like to have God in the midst of them in the moment the very first time after that that they noticed that God was in the midst of them they hid because of their shame, their guilt, and their fear. They hid. 
Why is because now they're not full image bearers of God. They're now broken image bearers of God. They're no longer fully reflecting the image of God because God does not lie. God does not fall for lies. God is true. And God is truth. And God will only do that which is true. So now they're broken image bearers and they know it. And then we, because of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are now fallen into that nature of being broken image bearers of God. That's why you look around. We just had an ambulance go by. Just had an ambulance go by. In the midst of Genesis 3, because of the sin that was created there and happened from Adam and Eve and being deceived by Satan, we now have death, right? From dust you were created to dust you will return. That means they're going to be going back to the ground. But we have in Genesis 3.15 before that verse that Satan will be crushed. How so? That's the resurrection. This is the beauty. The power over death. Power over death. To dust you came from, to dust you will return. The power over that. One of the greatest fears is death. This is why we have ambulance. This is why we have people that are caring for one another in the midst of their deepest and darkest hurts and pains. This song that we're about to look at is a song in the midst of old age. So when you look at um, death, death is the ultimate end of our sin and also the curse that's fallen upon us. Sin both done to us and by us. So we do things to ourselves that lead to death, right? Whether it be drugs and addiction. We live in the midst of Lewiston, and this is possibly, I know that Bangor might be actually declared it, but I mean, frankly, how do you get stats from drug dealers? I don't know. Um, I think that Lewiston is the capital of heroin in the state of Maine. Um, we know the clutches of drug addiction here. These people are not living fully in the image of God. We know the clutches of the eyes of men. We know the clutches of the eyes of women as well, right? Submitting yourself and having to do things to yourself so that way you think that you can submit yourself to society rather than to being fully in the image of God. So then the question is, these are sins that are done both to you because the culture is trying to tell you something, but then you're also sinning and going and doing the thing that culture is telling you to do. Or you're lying to another person. Or, name it, you know exactly what you do. So you're not living fully in the image of God. You feel like you've been sinned against and you know that you've sinned yourself. And you know that there's just this natural cause of or there are these natural causes of death that happen. People have a heart attack. Tornadoes. What are we always, what's our big hope? So I want to, I want to, you know, define a couple things. Um, often we throw around these terms, you know, somebody's got to get saved, right? So what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? What is it, what are you saved from? What are you saved to? I put before you that you're actually saved from the depth of that curse, which is death, hence the resurrection. So you're saved to no longer die, but to live forever. You're also saved to fully and finally the presence of God forever. 
So when I say saved, that's what I'm declaring. I'm not just saying this nebulous term that we often throw around. So when you think of saved, that's what you think. Being made fully back into the image of God. So when I say fully back into the image of God, you're broken image bearers. You have sin that has happened to you. You've got mud on you and you've thrown mud at other people. So when I say being restored or redeemed, being reconciled, as Colossians 1 would say, being restored into that, what I'm referring to is Jesus who was the fullness of God incarnate, embodying that fullness of God. And he never sinned, living fully in the image of God. Then he died, resurrected, so that way you could too, to live fully in the image of God, to be the most human you've ever been. You don't even know what it's like to be fully human right now. Get that. You don't know what it's like to be fully human. When people submit themselves to these drug addictions, they're not living as human beings. When people worship animals over God, they're not being full human beings. When they worship their sexual orientation over God, they're not being full human beings. Because God is actually loving them and caring for them and saying, look, I'm giving you all these blessings and these things. Not so that way you can just continue on with life to then one day die, but so that way I can actually reveal myself to you, and then pull you into my presence forever. So, then we get into this song. I'm going to show a couple different parts of this song to show the heart of where he's at right now. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. And you hear his cry out, Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. You see, this is an all too familiar cry for most of us. In the midst and the depths of the darkness of your worst times, you know those times you'd call rock bottom? This is your cry. And you say, where have you been? Where have you been, God? I have no idea. I don't see what's going on. And look, my enemies, all they want to do is crush me. They're saying, look, he's in the depths of his pit. There's nobody there to help him, not even God. Let's crush him. These are the thoughts that are going through his mind. Is it true? No. No. But are the thoughts true? And are the feelings true? Absolutely. So there's this tension and beautiful reality of actually truly experiencing these feelings and not lying to yourself. Too often we get all religious with our answers. Well, I know God's not far from me. You know, that's, stop lying to yourself. If your feelings and your emotions feel that way, what you need to do, rather than just getting all religious about it, Encounter God. Why I love the Song of Solomon is because you're actually encountering that love of God. The reason why Lindsay was crying up here earlier is because there is no God who has such a love. If you look in the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon 2, he says, Come away with me, my beloved. Come from the mountains of Hermon. You're far away from me and you're 
like one who is hard to even get to, but I'm going to cry out to you and call you to myself. This is the pursuit of God for you. You don't even realize. You don't realize. God has actually pursued you. He's pursued you with a passionate love that has made a covenant before you have even covenanted back with him. And then, he even takes notice in the Song of Song too. He says, I'm realizing that your garden is locked. That your love is locked. You've got walls up because you've got hurt, but I'm the only one that's going to be able to speak into that. Nobody else can. So he says, my love, my beloved, your garden is like a locked garden. And then he goes on. He says, I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face, my love, my beloved. Come away with me. Open to me. And then finally, the response. So this is like the marriage proposal. This is the marriage proposal from Christ to you. Finally, the response from her is, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is that love. This is that pursuit of God that we see coming. And so we know by the scriptures that yes, we can feel like we're completely alone, but we also know that we can sense that love of God by actually hearing the voice of because it wasn't him that was recounting it in the Song of Solomon it was her she was recounting his words so when you're recounting the words of God you're actually able to counteract this and this is exactly what this psalmist does you go to verse 19 it says your righteousness O God reaches the high heavens you who have done great things O God who is like you who is like you? And in verse 20, this is going to be my, my clinging to verse. And if you, if you were to leave here with one thing, I want you to memorize this verse. Please. If you were to leave here with one thing, cling to this. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Who is the you? That's God. We don't live in a dualistic world where God is impotent. Impotent means powerless. Our God is great and powerful. He just declared this in the verse prior. So he's not saying, well, it's, you know, I've got all these troubles and calamities, all these issues and problems in my life, my struggles and then the, the, the mud that's being flung at me. And you, you're powerless, God. And he's saying, no. God, you're sovereign over this. God, I see your hand. I need to see your hand even more. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. You've had, look, look, you have had people that you love so close pass away. Right? And in the midst of that moment, you have no idea how to even think. I had one of the first couple people that I was discipling when I became a Christian. Uh, I was doing youth group over at Elizabeth Falls Baptist Church. One of the first couple people I was discipling, he, uh, he had a lot of struggles. Uh, he, was adopted, he was an adopted child uh, later on in life, and um, he ended up committing suicide. Um, he made his last phone call to me. Um, I could sense something was up, and it completely destroyed me for like two weeks. I had no idea how to even think. Um, God is the one 
who was sovereign over that situation. His hand wasn't powerless, but he's doing a million things all at once. A million. In the midst of a million different people's lives. And while it is completely a terrible situation that took place, God worked through it to bring about glory to his name. And ultimately and finally, I mean, you think about this. So that was a completely terrible situation, but we don't think about the cross as a completely terrible situation often, do you? Jesus Christ, God incarnate, entering into humanity, living perfectly, never sinning once, and then he's lied about, he's accused, and then he goes and he teaches them according to their own law. Well, why are you doing this on the Sabbath, Jesus? And he says, well, you're supposed to do good on the Sabbath, Pharisees. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You don't even know the word of the law. You don't even know your own Bible. So he tarries with them, he teaches them. And then, fully, at the very end, they completely lie to him. Or lie about him, sorry. And then crucify him. Both the rulers of the Jews and the rulers of the Romans. Two different uh, sets of social systems. Two separate kings crucifying the one true king. And yet we look at that and we don't declare that that is terrible. But Peter says in Acts 2 that it was God's hand that made Pilate do that. Why? Why? Without the death and the crucifixion of Christ, you have no resurrection. You have no power. This is why you see many Christians will gladly, in a beautiful manner, accept martyrdom. Perpetua. Has anybody ever heard of her? Perpetua is a martyr, a sister in Christ who was brought into the ring and there was a soldier that was broken because he realized there was this young woman before her and she even she cleaned herself up before she was even martyred. It wasn't like she went all disgusting, you know, torn and tattered. She said, no, if I'm going to die as a martyr, I want to glorify my God. So I'm going to do this and also I know that I'm going to be entering into the presence of my God. And then he was too afraid and she already knew her fate. And then she goes and she takes his sword and pierces it through. Why you have people that embrace the suffering of this world in righteousness for the cause of Christ is because they realize that there is great glory in that. Why Jesus went to the cross is because of the resurrection, that great glory. 1 Peter 1.21 says that he was raised with the glory of God. So, you have this part where he says, you, have, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. Just as true and sure as you've experienced pain and suffering in this life is just as true and sure as God will revive you again. Because of the resurrection of the dead. This is the amazing part to me. You will revive me again. And then this is the part where I have to 
um, make sure that I'm absolutely clear. Often in Christianity, we think that our great hope is that we get to die and then go to heaven. We aren't saved so that way we can go to heaven. We aren't saved so that way we don't go to hell. We're saved from death. What does Jesus do in the resurrection? He conquers death. What is the greatest curse from Genesis 3? Death. We then therefore have overcome death in Christ. Death has no power and no sting for us because we know that we will live forever. We aren't saved so that way we go to heaven. We are saved so that way also one day we will too likewise bodily in our flesh in a glorified body fully human finally raised from the dead like Jesus. We don't we don't think of this often. It's interesting. When I'm down street preaching now and I start mentioning these things, that I am going to rise from the dead bodily, like Jesus did. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, people, we live in a both natural and supernatural world. So when I start saying these things, the kingdom of darkness hates it. Why? It's because it's declaring their defeat in my victory in Christ. Death has no power over me because it has no power over Christ. So when I say, I'm going to rise from the dead, all these people, when I'm, when I'm down the street preaching, that's when they actually start getting really, really mad at me. I'm dead serious. Literally, I started getting to that point in what I was preaching uh, two weeks ago, and somebody starts yelling at me, Go home! And then somebody right after that starts yelling at me again, and then another person, I'm... I was taking note. I'm like, I'm preaching about the resurrection. I wasn't preaching about that a moment ago, but now I am. This is what I'm getting. It's because the supernatural realm, the kingdom of darkness, hates the resurrection because it's a declaration of their defeat. Romans 16 says, for the God of peace, take this in mind, this is a war, it's a, it's a war verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Yours. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So we're going about, we're declaring the resurrection from the dead, crushing these demons underneath our feet. That's why one day I can rest assured that abortion will be abolished. We're not going to have it. Babies won't be murdered. They're going to be given life. And then these babies that have been murdered, they're going to resurrect from the dead. There's hope there. So you see, you, you who have maybe seen many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. That bodily resurrection from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. He's clinging to this in the midst of feeling completely alone, in the midst of feeling like there's nobody there. He's saying, I have a hope that surpasses my aloneness. I have a hope. I have a hope that will not overcome me, but that or I have a hope that has completely overcome me and overcome my aloneness and my troubles and calamities because that's what I'm going to cling to. You see, over at Psalm 53, we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is inaugurated at the coming of Christ. John 18, 37, Pilate asks Jesus, after asking him, so you're king of the Jews? He says, well, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my people would have been fighting. Why? It's because of the sin nature that's from this world. And then he says, so you are a king. He said, you say, Jesus is talking, you, Pilate, you're saying it. You say this. 
And it is for this reason, this purpose, I was born. Jesus was born to be king. He was born to embrace suffering. He was born to resurrect from the dead. And he says, this is the purpose, this is the reason why I was born. And then he goes on and he declares that it's why I came into this world. So he's bringing his kingdom here. So you have this really personal aspect, your own personal troubles and calamities. You're feeling alone, desiring to feel like there's some hope. This hope will rise, you know, declaring defeat over depression. The restoration of families that are completely broken. The addictions that we see, experience. These are all defeated by the power of the resurrection. This is also how you can even have power to be able to go to these people to declare these things. You were given a task by the resurrection. The only reason why I can go and street preach, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a weak man. I'm, I'm a scary cat. And I'm down there street preaching. There was one time I was down in Philadelphia and I was street preaching in front of probably around 3,000 people. I hated public speaking when I was in school. Hated it. But it was only because of the resurrection, because of the power that is in that, that I was even able to declare about it. So you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. This is that being made back into the full image of God. And then you see now, from, it goes from this personal to a corporate aspect. So, kingdom of God, you think... You, 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 you've had your own personal troubles and claims, but then you as a whole, City Reach, City Reach, Lewiston. You're building the kingdom here in Lewiston. And then not only just City Reach, Lewiston, but all the other churches, the remnant that God has here in Lewiston. We're building the kingdom of God here in Lewiston. This is that also corporate aspect to it. The resurrection also began a revolution. Revolution is revolting. We're revolting against the powers and principalities of darkness, saying that Jesus has already declared your death, O Satan. This is why in Hebrews 2, I believe it says, essentially, it's the death of death in the death of Christ. That was the book that John Owen wrote based off that verse. But it's the death of death in the death of Christ. And then his resurrection completely destroyed and revolted against that. So then you see, I will also praise you with the heart for your faith, faithfulness, oh my God. What is this faithfulness that he is speaking of? When you see the faithfulness, you usually think through covenant. You know, I'm faithful to my wife. Well, God is faithful to his Genesis 3.15 covenant. He's also faithful to his Genesis 1.26 and 27, where he's saying that I've made you in my image. When then man breaks that, he says, well, I'm not going to let that be. I'm going to pursue you. Now get this. This is probably going to be controversial. I don't know. God doesn't need you. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need me. But this is, I'm doing this, I'm saying these things for a purpose. To magnify his love and pursuit of you. The fact that he doesn't need you, yet still pursued you, and poured out his love upon you, shows how much love my God abounds with. 
how faithful my God is, even in the midst of me being unfaithful. What does this say about you currently then? Does this mean that in the midst of your walk with Christ, when you slip and you fall, that you are the one that's going to break the covenant? No, because God is the one who sealed the covenant. So he says, I'm going to praise you in your faithfulness, O God. Romans 8 says, Neither height nor depth nor power nor principalities nor things present nor things to come will ever separate me from the love of Christ. Who can? Not even you can condemn me. Not even I can condemn me. If I can't condemn me, and mind you, I know your head. I got one too. I got a mind. You talk down about yourself often. You talk down about yourself more than anybody else talks down about yourself. You call yourself stupid. You lie to yourself. But in Romans 8, he says, not even you get to do that. This is the pursuit and love of Jesus. He doesn't need you, but he pursued you because he loves you. mind-blowing. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. This is that corporate sense. O Holy One of Israel, your covenant faithfulness to all the image bearers of God, you Holy One of Israel. I'm going to renew you through Israel who was Jesus. And then he's expanding it to even the Gentiles. So that way his name would receive glory from all peoples of all time. And then, you see, it goes on, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. You see, this is the amazing part. Earlier, as we were singing, shouting for joy. Some people say I've got a loud voice. The state of Maine said I had a loud voice. Um, when, I, when I hear the saints, by the way, you're not referred to as sinners after Christ. You're referred to as saints. When I hear the saints' voices sing and declare of the praise of God, shouting it with the top of their lungs and with their soul, their souls, their emotions, the deepest part of their emotions. When you're crying out to God and you just see all these tears start coming down. Last night we were at a prayer meeting and I had a puddle under me. I didn't realize I was crying. I cannot understand any other God who is worthy of such emotion and shouting. I cannot understand or even fathom or think of anybody else who would be worthy of that praise. Why? Because nobody else has raised from the dead for me. You see, I would die for my daughter. So dying for another person is, yes, noble, honorable. But there are many who have died for another. There's only one who has ever raised for the many. Only one. That's Jesus. So therefore, if he is the only one who is actually raised from the dead to redeem the many, to take back to himself the many, to bring back into the full image of God, being conformed into the image of Christ the many, he is the one that is worthy to be shouted for. When we were singing earlier, I actually had this image and thought in my mind of like all this, the host of angels and the heavens hearing the voices and shouting with us. It's mind-blowing to think through that God, our God, is receiving praise from the supernatural and the natural, heaven and earth meeting. That's the resurrection, people. 
I'm going to close out with verse 24. In my, tongues, in, in my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. In my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. I'm not going to stop talking about this. What is that righteous help, though? So I like how it says your righteous help. It doesn't declare what that might look like. You see, in Hebrews 12, it says that the discipline of the Lord is actually good for us because it brings more into the image of Christ. It's ridding out or refining those sinful ways that are still within us. So his righteous help can both look like comfort, but it can also look like discipline. So when I got sued by the state of Maine, I didn't realize we were going to talk about soon today, so this is kind of cool. Um, when I got sued by the state of Maine, I had this huge trust issue. I was thinking I was the one that was providing. I know I had that religious answer that I was talking about earlier. I know God provides. But in the depths of my heart, which in Psalm 64 it says that the enemy has made a diligent search in the depths of the heart and mind of a man so that way they can wage war, but it's God who shoots the arrows back at them. So God, to be able to reveal this to me, brought out this crazy situation where I got sued by the state of Maine. State of Maine versus Brian Ingalls. I got blasted on the media literally across the world. I had people giving me death threats. Sending me death threats. All so that I could trust in the Lord more. That's his righteous help. And then not only that, my court case ended up lasting probably around six hours. I had to be put on the stand twice. I was on the stand for close to an hour alone. And in that moment, I understood what it meant finally for the Holy Spirit to give you the answer when you're on trial. That trust thing again. So having to be on that trial stand, I receive that power, not mine, but His, that actually was righteous help. It's crazy to me. So, you receive this righteous help, and it says all the day long, I'm going to talk about it nonstop, and then it says at the end, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is that part where death has no victory. Why? Because Jesus fully and finally exacted victory. This is the crazy part as well. So you're speaking shame against your enemies, the kingdom of darkness, the lying, the sinning, those disabling spirits, those things, mind you, is huge. Those things that are against good creation. So it was on the eighth day that Jesus rose from the dead, correct? So, you know, the first day of the next week, you call it the eighth day if you wanted. It'd technically be the first day, but because we're Christians, we would call it the eighth day. So you've got this now new creation 
right? In Colossians, he refers to us as a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. So being found in this new creation, what Jesus was doing the entire time that you see his miracles taking place, was saying, I am bringing about by the resurrection, I'm bringing about this new creation truth. So when somebody is healed, why? It's because I'm removing that curse. That disabling spirit, the powers and the principalities are in the air. Luke 13, a woman had a disabling spirit by the end of the verse, or the passage, you see that it was a spirit from Satan. When he's going about healing and raising people from the dead, he's saying, this is what new creation's like. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Fully and finally alive in the full image of God. Living fully human. This is why in Colossians 3, he says, in Christ who is your life, when he appears, you will appear with him also. You will appear with him also. When Christ who is your life appears, this is his second coming, and his second coming is when we're all going to rise from the dead, bodily, to appear with him. When Christ who is your life, what this means is, the entirety of your life is given over to both proclaim and make this thing happen. This is why you see healings and the supernatural works of the Spirit in Acts, because he hasn't stopped bringing about this new creation. In Acts 4, I believe it is, um, I actually wrote it down, if you want to look, Acts 4.10. In Acts 4.10, it's because of the resurrection that you're actually seeing the healings going throughout the church. If you look through, what that is, is bringing about that new creation. Your entire life is about bringing about that new creation from your wallet to your mouth to your interceding, your praying for one another, boldly interceding and declaring that love, that mystery of God. So, what does the resurrection mean for you? It means new creation. It means new life. It means freedom. What freedom means is freedom is to live fully human. What you're enslaved to or you're captive to is being broken. Freedom is full humanity in the image of God. Being broken is the captivity. So you're being freed from sin, freed to be fully human. That's what it means for you. And what it also means for you as a corporate people is that you're taking over the world, bringing things back into restoration. It says in Acts 2 that he's restoring all things. Colossians 1 says that he's reconciling the world to himself. So we go about, we set our life, our finances, everything, so that way we can bring about this resurrection reality. We live in holiness because of the resurrection. We give our money for the resurrection. We give our lives for the resurrection to the point of death because there's nobody else who's died for, or there's nobody else who's raised from the dead for me. So, live in light of the resurrection and run in light of the resurrection. All right, I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your pursuit of us. And God, we ask that you would help us pursue others with that power, God. That by the power of your spirit, we would be running harder and faster and longer. God, that we would be seeking your face. That we would be running towards you. God, that we would be bringing people closer to you. God, that you would redeem, that you would take over the listing. God, that you would set your rule and reign here fully and finally, God. 
You'd give freedom from addiction. God, that you would restore families, heal broken hearts. God, that you would revive us again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor That was awesome. Powerful, honorable mentions. I love the saved from death and saved to be made fully back to the image of God. Right? Yeah. It's powerful. And we who have been saved, right, now have the obligation to go out and equip others and go out and save others and say, hey, this is, this is you too.